greetings. It's good to be with you on this Feast of Trumpets. It is so wonderful to be keeping the holy days, uh, especially as the world gets crazier and times get tougher and morals spin out of control in our world. It's so refreshing to be keeping the feast days and the holy days and understanding what God reveals to us what will happen through through these days. And we are so grateful for that. We really have a chance to even get a picture of what's going to happen probably in our lifetimes uh, when we look at the Feast of Trumpets, as we are observing today. To start off, let's turn over to Leviticus chapter 23. And verse 23, we read here, about the Feast of Trumpets, the day that we are keeping uh, today. Of course, this is recorded earlier, uh, but the day that uh, we are observing uh, as you watch this, uh, this, uh, this sermon. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 23. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of this month, You shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. You shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So there's not a lot said about the Feast of Trumpets here in Leviticus. And as uh, one of the living education focus units points out, um, that there, there's no indication that the Jews really understood the depth of, of, of the meaning here, of what we're talking about and what we're going to be talking about uh, in terms of the blowing of trumpets. And we'll get to that uh, specifically in a moment. Uh, what we find here, it is a rest, it's a holy convocation, it is a holy day that we are commanded to observe. Of course, we don't offer animals on this day, uh, we offer our praise and our thanksgiving and our obedience and even our finances, our financial offering to God. Uh, Jesus Christ, of course, is the ultimate offering, and he gave his life uh, for us. And all of those uh, physical offerings of animals ultimately pointed to him. This day is a day of no work, so we take off from our normal jobs and routines and uh, as we do on all of the holy days. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 1 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The the feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So we keep the the weekly Sabbath uh, every week on the seventh day, and we keep the annual holy days when they they come as we are doing with the Feast of of Trumpets. So what about trumpets? A trumpet was blown uh, for many different things, as we often learn uh, on the Feast of Trumpets. One is it was a call of alarm, in a time of war. Now, this trumpet on this day was not a silver or metal trumpet that we might think of. It was specifically a ram's horn or a shofar. 
And again, uh, that is very different from a, from a silver trumpet. And it's interesting that the trumpet blast can be thought of as more of a shout, not so much a musical sound, uh, not so much a pleasant sound, but a piercing and powerful blast or even a shout. And uh, that's interesting because when Christ comes back uh, with a shout, with the trumpet of God, the voice of the archangel. So let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we read this at funerals, of course, in verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So this day pictures Jesus Christ coming. And it pictures his voice being heard above the clamor, above the noise and the confusion of war, but also above the babble and above the pablum of this world uh, that is going on and is going to only increase even today. You think about the endless bickering and the endless arguing that is a part of our world today. Brethren, are you getting tired of it? Are you getting tired of this world's endless, endless wrangling? <clears throat> and have you ever wondered what God thinks about it? What God thinks about what he hears going on down here on earth? You know, there was an article that appeared in Psychology uh, Today entitled, Is Civility Dead in America? The article reads, Sadly, we seem to be living in an increasingly uncivil community, from presidential politics to random Internet comments. There seems to be more and more rude, demeaning, insulting, and aggressive language and behavior in our society. Research on this topic of incivility has found that mental and physical health, uh, worker productivity and employee retention, customer relations, and so forth, all greatly suffer when work and social environments are uncivil. Now, what's interesting is this was written in July 11, 2016, about five years ago. Now, what's happened since then? What's happened in just a year or so uh, to our civility in our society? It's taken a nosedive, hasn't it? We are uncivilized. You know, I can remember when talk shows and uh, radio interviews uh, would be done with a certain level of respect. But now people shout each other down, don't they? They run over each other. They interrupt each other. And, and it's, it's shocking. There's no common courtesy. There's no respect for even letting another person finish their thought before being interrupted. You know, that is one thing that is so, let's say, radical and so positive about Spokesman Club. How, how the men in the church, through Spokesman Club, they learn 
to interact with each other and sometimes discuss very uh, difficult topics and that have a lot of wide-ranging opinions about them. And they can agree to disagree and be respectful and be friends. And there are no insults. There are no barbs. It all is respectful. You know, I was not long ago... Uh, uh, in the in the shop with the uh, getting an oil change and happened to catch uh, a TV show on uh, on the TV in the waiting room there and um, it's just shocking sometimes when you see some of the daytime uh, television shows where a host will bring on people uh, who maybe are having uh, having some horrible horrible uh, situation where. Uh, the husband is having an affair with another woman and the host will bring on the wife and the other woman and thinking this is all going to be a good idea and they wind up fighting and shouting and throwing things at each other and the audience just eats it up and we just eat it up. And you think to yourself, what does the rest of the world think about us? What must they, how must they view us? in this country and other Western countries that use this kind of thing for entertainment. It's just amazing. Some have today turned things upside down and call uh, the Bible hate speech, that if you believe and if you teach the Bible, you are promulgating hate speech. Well, brethren, if we teach and believe the Bible, we are going to offend some people. Because the Bible challenges us to repent. And that's not comfortable. It will offend us if we're in sin. Uh, that's not God's fault. That's our fault. Uh, but that's getting confused. And our world is getting more and more, uh, going down that path more and more each day. Let's turn over to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 11, there's a lot that the Bible says about speech, about the use of speech, especially as the days draw near to when Christ is going to come back. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 11 says, There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There's a generation that's pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There's a generation whose teeth are like swords, whose fangs are like knives, to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And how true, how true, how much of our words, how much of our speech today is like swords and like knives to destroy one another. You know, it didn't happen overnight either. I think back to uh, when I was in school, actually, when I was in high school. Uh, we had a pep rally one time in the gym where the principal called the, all of the students into the gym for, a, for this meeting. And so we all were ushered in. We were all sitting on the bleachers. And so that we're talking about maybe, uh, maybe about 1,000 or 2,000 students. It was a, a fairly big number uh, of students in the crowd and I'll never forget how the principal came to a microphone that was set up in the middle of the the court in the middle of the gym 
And he said, okay, could I have your attention, please? And uh, nothing changed. Everyone kept talking, kept talking. The kids kept talking. He again said, can I have your attention, please? And he waited. Nothing nothing happened. Nobody stopped talking. And about the third or fourth time, it actually got louder when he said, again, could I please have your attention? And the, the, the students started figuring out this was a fun game. And they actually started yelling, started hooting and hollering, and started making all kinds of racket. And he could not get them to be quiet. And it must have gone on for five or, or ten minutes. And finally, he just gave up. And he just started the, the, the program, whatever was going on for that day. But I thought, what a horrible, horrible example an illustration of, of my class, of my, my classmates, of, of my generation. And think about this. This was decades ago. Uh, all of this didn't happen overnight. We are not the first time that this whole idea of, of uncontrolled speech, of uncontrolled words that are hurtful, that lack self-control, and that are only getting worse. Psalm 22, let's look at a few other uh, places here as we uh, set the stage. Psalm 22, as we are here on the uh, Feast of Trumpets. Psalm 22 and verse 1. Um, even our, our Lord suffered from this malady. Notice in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Uh, notice in verse 7, All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. You know, Jesus gave his life. He let his, his blood spill out and his lifeblood flow out. But even before he gave his life, he was being ridiculed and insulted throughout his ministry, wasn't he? He was being put down through a, a lot longer than just the moment that he died. That was the way that he was having to live because he was in this flesh and because of the way that human beings act, especially when... Someone is telling them things they don't want to hear. Psalms uh, 23. Psalm 23 and verse 27. But notice what's going to be the end. Verse 27. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. So that same Messiah who was put down and insulted and spat upon, he's going to come back. And that's why we're here today. And that's what we're learning today. And that's what we're going to be talking about today and already are talking about. Notice in Psalm 12, Psalm 12, again, speaking of uh, what the Bible says about speech, Psalm 12, verse 1, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, every one with his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. 
May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said, With our tongue we will prevail, our lips or our own, who is Lord over us. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Nobody's going to tell us what to do. Nobody's going to stop us from saying what we want. You know, we have a phrase today. People talk about speaking your truth as if all truth is relative. Uh, now, we all have our own perspective. We all have our own where we're coming from in that sense. But that's not what they mean when most people use that term. They are talking about how there are no absolutes. There is no absolute truth. Your truth is how you see the world, and you must live by your own moral standards, and you don't have to let anyone tell you what to do. And that is so diametrically opposite from what God teaches us and what God tells us. Notice uh, verse 5. For the oppression of the poor, for the sign of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. Jesus Christ is going to come back. And he's going to deal with the human condition. He's going to deal with uh, all of the things that we see in our world today. He's going to come back and he's going to say, stop. He's going to say, listen to me, do I have your attention? Just like that principal in that pep rally years ago in my school, in my high school, he's going to say, do I have your attention? And brethren, he is going to get our attention, isn't he? He's going to get the attention of people all over the world. He is absolutely going to demand their attention as we, as we see as the process unfolds. It won't happen all at once. It will happen in, in, a, in a process as we learn on the uh, day of trumpets because most people today in our world don't respond to words only. Uh, there are about 40 million Bibles bought each year. The word is all over the place, the God's word. Uh, but most are not listening. Many are not listening. And this day is about Jesus Christ finally getting everyone's attention and so that they start listening to him. Revelation chapter 4, notice uh, Revelation chapter 4. Let's start in Revelation chapter 4 and we will see something here. Before that, let's go back a little ways. Uh, before Revelation, let's go to Romans. That brings us to why we're here and what we're all about on the Feast of Trumpets. Let's turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And verse, um, verse 11. This really describes our day, if we think about it. Verse 11, there's none who understands. Uh, verse 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, there's none who seeks after God. Verse 12, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. Verse 13, with their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. 
Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This describes our day. It's, it's, it's a perfect description of what's happening right in front of us. The violence, the hatred, the anger, the, the non-stop arguing and bickering going on, whether it's in person or whether it's online or whether it's in between world leaders or in the media, it doesn't matter. The non-stop bickering. But notice in verse 19. Now he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. And then notice the last half of verse 19, and this is where we're going to get our title from for today. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Brethren, what will be accomplished on this day? What will be accomplished on the Feast of Trumpets? Jesus Christ, as our elder brother, as the master, the boss, will come back and say, enough. He'll come back and say, stop, no more. He'll come back and say, I want your attention now. And every mouth will be stopped. Brethren, if you'd like a title for this sermon today is, Every Mouth Will Be Stopped. Every mouth will be stopped, just as we read here in Romans chapter 3 and verse 19. Now, it won't happen all at once. There are events that will lead up to it. There is a process that's going to unfold on the Feast of Trumpets or the the days that the Feast of Trumpets represent. But his voice will be accompanied by action because today, you know, human beings, by and large, are not willing to listen to words only. They only understand many, only understand actions And so Jesus Christ, when he comes back, he's going to back up his words with actions and he will stop every mouth. Let's look at some of the highlights in uh, Revelation that this this day talks about here. In Revelation chapter 4, notice, Revelation chapter 4. In verse 1, after these things I looked... And behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. So we, we read a lot of about a lot of communication in Revelation, as we're going to see. It's, it's very important to God. Communication is ex- extremely important. Notice in verse 5, From the throne proceeded, proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Uh, verse 6, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. In the midst of the throne, around the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. And it describes the different creatures. And uh, verse 8, it says, They do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, these beings are not flattering God. They aren't just saying nice things to him so that he feels good. Uh, you know, we might even look at this and it looks a little strange 
to us the way it's framed, that they just they have neither rest uh, day nor night, and they just say holy, holy, holy over and over and over again. But let's think about that. The, these are not robots. Let's think a little bit about what's happening and, and what they're doing. They are expressing reality. They are just expressing the truth. They are praising God, and they do it every day. Now, is there anything in the Bible that talks to us, tells us that we should be instant in prayer, uh, that we should continually be communing with God as we walk through the day with him? Are we not by our lives to proclaim him day and night? Notice, hold your place here, and notice in uh, Psalm 34. Psalm 34, in verse 1. Psalm 34, and verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So you and I are being trained. You and I are walking this way of life. And whether we're young or old, we're learning to praise him continually. It doesn't mean that we have to tell everyone that we see on the street, you know, uh, praise the Lord or something, but we're, we are in communion, communion with Him all day long. We should be. We need to be. We have to be. We have to be walking with Him. And by our lives, we have to be praising Him all the time. And the longer I live, the more I see how important that is, that we are walking through the day and at certain times in the day, we get down on our knees when we can, and we thank him for the day. We thank him for leading and guiding us through that day, through whatever challenges that we are confronting at that moment. And then even when we're not on our knees, as we're going about our day, we, we stop and pause occasionally, and we thank God for what he's doing. And ultimately, our mind is on him more and more, and we understand that that we're we really need to give every moment to him of our lives. You know, we there are no moments that are just ours that are you know solely belong to us because he owns us. And so when these beings back in Revelation chapter four are praising him night and day, brethren, is that not what we are training to do? To have our minds focused on him night and day. And frankly, living a life that is in praise of him night and day. Revelation 5, verse 11. Notice, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. This, this huge number of angels and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. Notice the communication going on here. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, 
blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And this day is explaining the process by which all mankind come to the point where they are doing the same thing as what we see here. This day represents the process by which all mankind come to the point where they are doing the same thing that we see here, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess his name. What a tremendous day that is, especially when you see just how argumentative and contentious we are today in this world. If you look at chapter 6, we begin to see the seals being poured out. Revelation chapter 6 in verse 1. Uh, now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice, like thunder, come and see. And then he describes what he saw, and we're not going to go into all the, the details here, but we see the, the first uh, four seals being opened up. Uh, the first having to do with a religious system uh, that is going to be militant, that is going to be uh, very, uh, to wreak havoc on the world. In fact, uh, let's, let's do, hold your place there and just go over to Revelation chapter 13 for a second. Revelation 13, this religious system uh, that is being referred to in uh, chapter 6 and verse 2, is spoken of here. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. We're talking about how we use our tongues here. We're talking about this day of trumpets is is a day when God gets control of the mouths and the tongues of all humanity, and including this individual who who looks like a lamb but speaks like a dragon. He's being influenced by Satan, the devil. Back in Revelation chapter 6, we see the second seal in verse 3 opened, and that is, of course, war and great violence on the earth. Uh, Verse 5, the third seal, famine. Uh, Verse 7, the fourth seal, a great deal of death. One-fourth of the population die. Uh, verse 9, the fifth seal, the, the death of the martyrs, uh, those who are not in the place of safety uh, will, be, will be martyred. Verse 12 through 14, the sixth seal, the heavenly signs, you know, the whole creation convulsing in preparation for what's coming, in preparation for the king returning to the earth, coming to this earth. Notice in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. Then uh, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now we've talked about this before, but you know, sometimes uh, silence has a greater impact than sound. When you really want to get people's attention, sometimes there is no substitute to silence. Did you ever have your parents when you were young? Was there ever a time when you'd done something wrong and you got that look? And maybe they didn't even say anything right away. 
maybe you're a young person right now, and maybe you get that look sometimes today. Maybe you're getting it right now uh, during services. Sometimes that look tells you all all you need to know, and and you you get the message loud and clear. And sometimes there's not even a word spoken. You have to wonder if this silence is for the same impact. Something big is about to happen, and Christ is going to intervene. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 5, notice, it says, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And, of course, this seventh seal that is being opened up uh, then uh, in, leads into uh, a number of trumpet plagues, uh, trumpets being sounded and trumpet plagues being poured out. Uh, we read in um, verse 7, the first angel sounded and a third of vegetation burned up. Verse 8, the second angel sounded. And the second trumpet, and a third of the ships are destroyed. Verse 10, then the third angel sounded. And this is verse 10, uh, some sort of meteorite or something. It makes the waters uh, bitter. Uh, verse 12, then the fourth angel sounded. <clears throat> and uh, this is a darkness. Um, and um, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night and finally, in chapter 9 and verse 1, the fifth trumpet sounded. And this is when uh, we understand that the European beast power will launch an attack. Now, when we think about this for a moment, you know, before men fight with weapons, there usually is a war of words first, isn't there? There usually is a back and forth, an escalation of words that goes on leading up to the actual battle. What leads up to this attack here? Well, you know, certainly something happens. There's great violence. There's great warfare. And uh, it seems to be a, a war of words erupts into this system coming out uh, with all its fury. There was a, a World War Three. Uh, simulation, a computer simulation that I read uh, some time ago. And uh, it, the, the title of the article about it was U.S. Military Chief Warns of Fresh Threat from Resurgent Russia, NATO Superiority Eroding. The chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff said belligerent Russia and strengthening China had left world leaders once again thinking in terms of great power comp competition. He said the post-Soviet years of U.S. global dominance was coming to an end, and NATO has to face up to this new reality. In this computer simulation, if there's World War III, they estimated that 91 million people would either die or be injured just from the initial attacks. You know, we are not out of danger in this world just because the Cold War is over, so to speak. Uh, we know that things are going to happen as we read here in Revelation. Now, it won't be between the U.S. and Russia, but 
it will be apparently between uh, in from the scripture we see between uh, Europe this European beast power and Russia notice in uh, chapter 9 and verse uh, verse 13. It says, then the sixth angel sounded, that's the sixth trumpet, and now we have this, this response from this uh, power, this Asian power, perhaps uh, an alliance between a, a Russian and Asian uh, armies. And really it becomes a battle for, uh, for rulership over the whole earth, and a third of mankind are killed. We, we, you know, it's hard even to imagine that. It's hard to imagine billions of people being killed in this kind of warfare. But notice in uh, chapter 9 and verse 20. So where is the state of mankind at this point? What are many men thinking? Well, verse 20, this is after... All of these plagues, after the seals have been opened, the trumpet plagues are already being opened. The European beast power has has emerged. The Russian and Asian uh, hordes have have counterattacked. And then verse 20, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hand. Jesus Christ still hasn't gotten through to them yet. Now, the two witnesses have been prophesying. They have been explaining and powerfully preaching their message. But people aren't listening. And again, you can imagine the hatred, the bitterness, the the vitriol being leveled between human beings at this time when there's open warfare. We think it's bad now. This is where it's going Notice in Revelation chapter 11 and verse uh, verse, uh, verse 15. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. Then the seventh angels sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, there is going to be a time when it's all over, or at least it's the beginning of the end. At least Jesus Christ is being proclaimed as the king, and there are loud voices in heaven, and these things are being pronounced, and the final chapter is is unfolding, let's say, in that sense. Let's let's turn over to Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15 and verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, Having harps of God, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. 
You know, brethren, at this point we are seeing that the the saints have been made a spirit, and now they are standing before the sea of glass, and they are singing this song. They are praising God. They are using their voices to to magnify Him and to thank Him for all that He's doing, both in their own lives and also on earth, what He's accomplishing, what He is finally putting into motion here on earth, the, the, the wrap-up of this age, the end chapter of this age. Brethren, what a, what a tremendous glimpse into what that will be like at that point. And doesn't it make us stop and pause to think, what should we be doing now? You know, how are we using our words now? If that's what we're going to be doing, if, if that, those are the kinds of things we're going to be telling God then, praising Him for His works, thanking Him for what He's doing, for intervening, acknowledging Him for being the creator and, and guider and sustainer and preserver of everything. How how much should we be thinking about those things and saying those words now when we are in our private time with God? And even as we talk to one another, as we explain and as we share stories about how God has intervened with us, how are we using our words? Because this day has a huge impact and effect on, on what is happening with how people are using their tongue, how they're using their words in this age, and why Christ is going to intervene. Because words lead to action. <coughs> words lead to actions. Notice in Revelation 16 and verse 1, here are the final uh, bowls of wrath that are poured out. Revelation chapter 6, 1. Uh, in verse 2, so the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, <coughs> and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And the other bowls are poured out in the second bowl uh, in verse 3, every living creature dying in the sea. Verse 4, the third bowl, the uh, water is poisoned. Uh, verse 8, the fourth bowl, the tremendous heat. And then notice verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. You know, I think we're always struck on the Feast of Trumpets when we read these things. After all this, after all of the witness, after all of the warning, some just can't shut their mouths, can they? Some just can't get the picture that God wants their attention. And they need to just be quiet and stop mouthing off at God. And yet, this continues to happen. Isn't it remarkable, brethren, how stubborn we as humans can be? Now, we shouldn't assume that all will be in that category. Uh, some people will undoubtedly sit up and listen. Deuteronomy chapter 4 talks about some in captivity will, will listen. Uh, 
but many won't, and God predicts that here. Notice in uh, verse uh, verse 10, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. They blasphemed even after all of these things happened. You know, sometimes we, and detractors of God and the Bible, uh, make God to appear as a tyrant or harsh when in history there are times when he maybe wiped out a nation uh, where he told the Israelites to wipe out, obliterate a nation. Uh, the Canaanites, God said to wipe them out. Why? Well, because they were so debased, they were so corrupt that they offered their children for sacrifice. And, you know, God was telling them, look, when a society gets so debased, degenerate, that they, they kill their own children because of their, their warped view of how they are worshiping whoever they're worshiping, God, God says they need to stop one way or the other, and they're certainly not listening to me. Uh, what about the people of Sodom? God burned up that city, didn't he? Well, again, uh, they'd gone so far into sin, uh, it was past the breaking point in their life, in this life. And God said, look, you, you have hardened yourself so far, I'm going to just let you go to sleep, and that's what death is, and I'm going to set you aside for now, and you're going to be raised uh, later on in the great white throne judgment period. And I'm going to use those alive, those who, who live through the tribulation and day of the Lord, I'm going to use people who are humble and who can be worked with and who can be form a core of humanity that is willing to repent and that is willing to shut their mouths from blaspheming God and mouthing off at God. And maybe those who don't survive are those that God says, you're so hardened, I can't use you in the beginning of, of the millennium. So I'm going to set you aside for now, but in his love, He gives. he's going to give them a chance. We learn about that on the last great day. So he'll put to sleep the hardheads. He'll put to sleep the hardheads. We see in Revelation 16 and verse uh, verse 12, Still more fighting, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and uh, they gathered them together, verse 16, to the place in Hebrew Armageddon, called Armageddon. Verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And we read of hail and cities falling and earthquakes and horrible destruction. And notice even here, verse 20, then every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. This is, this is hard to comprehend. These are maybe 70 to 100 pound 
hailstones. We're talking about things that destroy everything in their path. And yet men, verse 21, blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. You know, sometimes it almost takes your breath away to see how stubborn we can be, how stubborn human beings can be. After all of this, how could they be so stupid? What is wrong with these people? And then we stop and think, except for me being called by God, except for God working with my mind, except for God granting me repentance, where would I be? Can we ever be stubborn? Have there been times when my words have been arrogant? Have there been moments when verse Second uh, Peter chapter 2 talks about great swelling words of emptiness? Have we ever had moments of arrogance and vanity and it's come out in our words? And if given the right circumstances, if the right buttons were pushed, if the right conditions were there, if I was not called, if my human nature was allowed to run its full course, what am I capable of with my tongue? And we all must ask ourselves that. The lesson is for us. We're warning the world, but by and large, they're not listening. We have to give them a witness. We have to accomplish our job, but by and large, they're not listening. But we know better, don't we? We've been warned. We're called to be different. How do we use our tongues? Do we tell questionable jokes? Do we use euphemisms that really are, frankly, uh, taking God's name in vain, but just in a veiled way? Do we sometimes let filthy talk slip out? Are we teaching our children to be respectful to their parents or grandparents or other adults? You know, when I was growing up, I wouldn't dare talk back to my parents. I'm not saying that I I didn't uh, sometimes use my mouth in uh, a way that wasn't appropriate, but um, my my dad was fairly quick to uh, to deal with disrespect uh, in our household, and um, he got our attention if we were disrespectful. And if we were challenging him with our words, are we teaching our children to to be respectful? And if they're not, to, to deal with it. You know, we we have to figure out how to work with them and deal with it. Notice Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. We read here in Ephesians 5. Therefore, verse 1, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 
But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Does it matter how we use our words, how we use our tongue? Absolutely. Verse 5, For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, all the things he's talked about and listed here in these first five verses, because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. Brethren, these things can rub off on us in our world, and we have to deal with them. You know, if they're in our, if it's coming out in our children, now how do we, how do we deal with that? Well, we 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 work with them with understanding. We we teach them, we help them, we guide them, um, we instruct them. You know, we we don't allow them to say certain things. Uh, you know, if our if a child says, "I hate you," either to us as parents or to other children, uh, we need to stop and think about that and figure out and and not allow it and figure out where's that coming from, and how do I change their behavior? How do I how do I affect their behavior? What kind of plan do I implement? that is age-appropriate to get their attention and let them know that that language will not be tolerated. What about if we are telling our our children something to do and, and they just say no? Uh, you know, what if we, we have to certainly be careful that whatever we tell them to do, we're going to follow it up, that they understand, they learn, that, that if we're not going to follow it up, then then don't tell them to do it. But if we do tell our children that something is expected and they tell us, no, that's a problem. And we need to deal with that. Again, age appropriate. We need to figure out uh, what's what's happening and why and sit down maybe with our spouse and talk it through, figure out a plan because that just cannot be tolerated. That is where it starts in children you know at an early age because i said so is a good explanation as children grow up get older uh you know if they're not telling the truth maybe they have a problem with lying uh, we need to sit down with them and explain why what they're doing is wrong and how it will affect their life and exactly where it will take them now, I understand, as parents, sometimes you can get so busy and so harried and, and hassled that you don't, it's hard to take the time to even uh, deal with things like this. But you know, brethren, if we see uh, stubbornness and obstinance and arrogance coming out in our children, we have to deal with it or else it's going to go to a bad place. We have to take the time. Uh, James uh, talks about uh, use of the tongue and how we we need to uh, get control of it. James chapter one. Notice in James uh, chapter one and um, 
in verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James chapter 3 and um, and uh, verse verse 2 says, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. It's very difficult to tame the tongue, isn't it? As he says, indeed, we put, verse 3, bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member but boasts great things." None of us is perfect. We'll all make mistakes, but we need to be evaluating how we use our tongue. Uh, do we fly into wrath too easily, um, or are we willing to listen? You know, today, actually, isn't it something how uh, women today are actually encouraged to be loud and proud uh, you know, but ladies, don't be taken in by that seductive lie. Uh, don't be taken in. We are uh, grateful that our ladies are learning a different way, uh, not being a uh, being taught to be a loud and stubborn woman. Uh, we all need to learn to use our our words in the right way. You know, it doesn't mean that our ladies shouldn't speak up when they need to. Um, I am grateful that my wife will tell me if she thinks I'm wrong, if she, if she thinks I'm in the process of making a, a, a bad decision. Uh, but she tells me in love. She tells me in kindness. I, and, and, but she tells me, and I'm grateful for that, very thankful for that. She'll tell me the truth. Uh, even if it hurts sometimes, and because that's what I need. I'm so grateful, though, that, that our ladies are learning a different way, because out in the world you know that women are being encouraged and taught and, and, and provoked to be a very, very different way, not to be feminine at all. What is the final analysis? What is Christ looking for when he comes back? I think a, a good way to illustrate this in the, is in the book of Job. In the book of Job chapter 40, notice. Job chapter 40 and um, in verse 1 moreover the Lord answered Job and said shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him he who rebukes God let him answer it and uh, Job answered verse 3 the Lord and said behold I am vile what shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. You know, when Job was going through his trial, and uh, God, God helped him to see what he needed. And he was full of himself, 
at the beginning, and um, he was he was he said some things that were not exactly respectful. And sometimes we can maybe we can judge Job for that, but brethren, do we ever feel that God is not fair in our lives? Maybe we don't say it in the same way that Job did. Maybe we don't verbalize it, but deep down inside, when we know that God could have prevented a health problem or a money situation or a personal issue, can we blame God? Can we blame God for not intervening? Have we been there? We're really not so far from Job, are we? It's just he had the boldness to say some things out loud, and it's written for all to see. And yet after all this trial, he said, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. He said, I'm I'm just going to stop talking. He said, I'm so sorry. I'm going to shut up now. I was so foolish, I don't even know what I was thinking. Have we ever been there? Have we ever been there? Job 42. In verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that which I did not understand Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you, and you shall answer me. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is something that we commonly use when counseling someone for baptism. It's the end point that Christ is looking for in us, someone who is who is repentant, someone who is asking for forgiveness, and someone who has stopped their mouth, someone who is willing to just be quiet and let God talk to them. And this is what these events of this day will lead to. Notice in Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, it speaks of a time when Israel will be humbled Why? Because of their many sins. But notice in just one example, Ezekiel 36 and verse 22. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. When you hallow me, when you start to speak about me and speak to me in a, in a totally different tone, in a tone which is repentant, is in a tone which is appreciative, a tone which is humble, a tone which is wanting to serve you, wanting to serve God. What a difference. He says, I'll put a new spirit in you. 
And you, you will remember your evil deeds and loathe yourselves, verse 31. What a difference. That is a group of people that Christ can use to start to build a and rebuild a civilization. People who are humble and teachable and malleable. And isn't that the same exact process he's starting with us? Let's make sure we are responding in the right way. That we are not profaning his name. That we are having a new heart. That we loathe ourselves when we fall into sin or, or when we fall into negative patterns that we ought not, ought not do. We are learning that way right now. Notice in Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse, verse 22. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. That's the message of this day. The whole entire population of the earth looking to God, ultimately, and obeying Him. I have sworn by myself, verse 23, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. You know, that's the goal. And that's what he will accomplish. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish. Trumpets is the, is the starting point in that sense. In the fall holy days, this portion of the plan, and it goes from there. Let's thank God for his great plan. Let's thank God that he will stop the mouths of rebellion. What a peaceful and quiet time it will be when all of the racket and all the clamor and all the anger and all the arguing and all the insults Will finally end. And let's thank God that He is teaching us to learn from Him now, that we are learning a different way to walk with Him, to regulate our ways and our words and our tongue, and teaching our children to do the same right now. The Day of Atonement will picture Satan's mouth being stopped. You know, He's the accuser of the brethren. And he accuses them night and day, accuses us night and day, and he will be stopped too. And then the rebuilding of the cities and lives will be able to start. But it has to start with the Feast of Trumpets, and it, it will. When mankind will be introduced to its maker, we understand that the whole process starts at Passover with Christ's sacrifice, but it leads right up to the Feast of Trumpets, when finally, finally, Jesus Christ will come back and the mouths of the proud will be stopped, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that He is Lord, and He is Savior, and He is King. He's the one who is our Creator and Savior, the one who gives us life and breath. God speed that day.